0: This BizNow podcast is brought to you by Industrious.
1: If you're like many people, going back to the office, the how, the when, the where, and whether you're happy about it or unhappy about it has been a pretty big talking point for you in recent months. Things might be different for you at work, maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way, but there's a lot more at stake than how often you have to do your commute.
2: I, I think the work from home technology is kind of a revolution. And I'm not totally sure how it'll play out, but it might be as important as like like cloud computing and, and fast internet might be as important as electricity.
1: There's a debate raging today in the halls of government, the boardrooms and the break rooms of companies, around breakfast tables, in editorial columns of news outlets and on social media.
3: Increasingly, what this debate is turning to is that it's not really about safety anymore. It's about lifestyle, it's about quality of life and what people want from their working lives, right?
4: How important is it to a business like Ginger Morgan to actually have people physically coming back to work? It's very
1: important. I think there'll be a large portion who permanently work in the office. There'll be some hybrids. This
4: was the morning the Prime Minister wanted us to change the way and the where we work.
3: The offices are deserted. It's like a graveyard shift every single day of the week. And that's just not on, you know. Some people have got to get it going. And, you know, I'm one of those people who's keeping it going. And I'm beginning to feel a little bit like, uh, where's everybody else? The
4: questions that people are asking are, what's better, working in the office or working from home? And how will people mix the two in future? But the real question is, how will this affect the way our society works? I'm Mike Phillips, BizNow's London editor. And
1: I'm Miriam Hall, the New York City reporter. This is Office Politics, the battle for the future of work. A five-part series looking at how changes in work and the future of the office will impact society and life for the hundreds of millions of people who live and work in global cities like New York and London.
4: After an 18-month forced experiment working from home, Office workers and the companies that employ them are in the midst of figuring out how work is going to look in the future. This series isn't going to pick a side in what increasingly feels like a culture war between those who are pro-office and those who think working from home is the better option. It won't try to make an exact prediction about how much time the average white-collar worker will spend in or out of the office. It's not going to argue that the office is dead or that working from home is just a
1: passing fad. What it is going to do is look at how the way we work is changing and the profound impact that's going to have. You could build a skyscraper to the moon if you laid out end-to-end the results of surveys and polls asking people how they expect to work in the future, and they all point to pretty much the same result. The change that was already starting to stir before the pandemic has sped up dramatically. For white-collar employees, the word work is no longer synonymous with the word office and people expect to do their jobs much more flexibly and from a much broader array of places in the future. So what are the potential impacts? For productivity, for social equality, for the way we interact, for the future of cities and the biggest fight of all against climate change. We've been speaking to dozens of people, academics, office workers, developers, business owners about the battle for the future of work. Tensions are already high and different versions of what society could be are up for grabs.
4: A minute ago we heard from Mo Davis, a professor in the real estate department at Rutgers University. In a paper on the impact of COVID-19 on real estate, he and his colleagues ran a counterfactual. What would have happened if the pandemic had hit in 1990? The long and short of it is that working from home would have been so difficult the economy would have suffered dramatically, more people would have felt compelled to go into offices and thus more people would have died. For Davis, technology like video calling and cloud computing has the potential to be as seismic for the economy as electricity, one of history's great inventions.
2: There was a great paper a while ago, or a great title, called um, Engines of Liberation and it talked about how electricity led to ultimately a fertility boom. It was about like how electricity made a lot of tasks that were difficult, easy. That was a series of inventions that lasted between, say, 1880 and 1930. I think we have a similar thing going on right
1: now. The office has always held a kind of promise for the people working there and a kind of freedom. In the early part of the 20th century, when offices were a new concept created to handle the paperwork generated by growing industries, they offered a chance to use your brain rather than your body, as well as an escape from the tedium and the labor of the field or the factory. They've offered a promise of career progression and female emancipation, with half of the office workforce in the early decades of the 20th century made up of women. In more recent years, the prospect of being a knowledge worker at a company like a tech firm with a cool office has offered the prospect of your job saying something about who you are as a person, of being something more than just a paycheck and security.
4: But the office is often, perhaps more often than not, let us down. The freedom to use your brain became the drudgery and conformity of the cubicle farm. Women have always made up that big proportion of the white-collar workforce, but career advancement has been elusive and the top ranks of business are still dominated by white men. Those young knowledge workers in that cool job in the funky office with unlimited snacks are experiencing burnout at unprecedented levels. We're at a moment when all that can change. The pandemic has given the world the chance to reimagine how work could be. And given how important work is in our lives, the way society could be as well. Offices, which for so long have been the physical space in which work happens, will play a big role in whether we use this moment or whether it passes us by. But ultimately it will be about people because it's people who drive how we use our buildings, our cities and how we structure our societies and economies.
1: One of the big debates about the future of work centres around productivity. Technology allowed most companies to keep their operations going when staff were forced to work from home during the pandemic. In some cases, companies even reported productivity going up.
4: But when you look at the data on productivity in offices, there's one point that should make the office real estate sector take a cold, hard look at itself.
5: So I'm Peggy Roth, uh, Chief Insights and Research Officer at Leasman. So Leasman focuses on doing just one thing. We measure the experience that employees have of the places that they work in.
4: For years, Leasman has been surveying nearly 200,000 people about what they do and don't like about their workplace. Everything from the layout, noise levels and how good the technology is to how comfy their chair is.
5: If we really kind of want to generalise and look at the averages from both of our databases, we can kind of draw the conclusion that the average home that was designed for living is actually better at supporting work than the average office that was actually designed to support work. When the
4: pandemic began, they started asking the same questions about people's experience of working from home as well. And they found that on average, people like working from home more than working in the office.
5: I'm not saying that every home is better than every office, because if you take an organisation that has been investing in their office environments, for years and they have made an effort to create an environment that supports their employees, they're in a much better position in, in this situation compared to an organisation that has been neglecting their office design and, and office environments for, for years. So there are certainly organisations out there where what I said about the average home and the average office, it doesn't apply. But on average, yeah, that, that is uh, what we're seeing.
4: Now, as Roth points out, not everyone loved working from home. Leesman's survey found that about one in five people really didn't like it at all. But on the whole, broad surveys like the one undertaken by Leesman show that people enjoyed working from home and were able to do their jobs from somewhere other than the office.
1: Workers have seen how different their lives can be if they're not in every day, and they know if companies try and force them to come back into the office full-time, if they're good at their jobs, then they can take their labour elsewhere. It's almost like a high noon standoff between some companies and their workers.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Box. I don't know if there's like a civil war going on in the workplace, but here's what's happening. Facebook doubling down on its flexible work policies, announcing that beginning on June 15th, workers at all levels of the company can request Better to work employees remotely. Employees now have the chance to work from to home forever. CEO Jack Dorsey made the announcement yesterday after more than
2: 5,000 employees.
5: Been working remote. The 9-to-5 workday is dead, according to cloud computing company Salesforce, San Francisco's largest private employer
1: known for its iconic tower. In a bl- Katie Seidel works at software company Salesforce.
3: Employees can say, well, listen, I just worked from home for a year and I did the best work of my life. So why are you telling me now that I have to come back in every day? And we've proven to you that we can all work from home and we have the tech and we have the availability to do it. So Why? Why do we have to do that? I think it will cause employees to question that a lot more.
1: Salesforce is one of those companies that even before the pandemic allowed people to work flexibly. And like many tech firms said that post-pandemic, that flexibility is only going to increase. But Seidel thinks those companies which don't adopt that strategy could see staff vote with their feet.
3: I'm under no guise that I am, you know, in a unique situation. I am a tenured employee. I've, you know, I've had... 10 plus years of proving that I'm good at what I do. And and with that comes a bit, I think more flexibility and more freedom. And, you know, I've worked really hard to get to the place that I am. And I work, I've worked really hard to get to work for the companies that I work for. And, and I've, I've chosen them based on, you know, of course, the job is important, but also the company and the company culture and, and what that means. Um, But I definitely think it's going to be much harder for, for other companies that aren't like mine to, kind of force people to come back in.
4: So what about the impact of working from home when it comes to economic productivity at a macro level? Several academic studies have attempted to quantify what remote work will mean for economies and come up with differing theories. So it turns out hybrid working is probably the most
2: productive way to run a business.
4: Nick Bloom is a professor of economics at Stanford University. He's been thinking about working from home for longer than most people. He's been researching the impact on workers and companies for more than a decade. During the pandemic, he's been surveying more than 7,000 workers a month in the US and UK about their company practices and how they feel about remote work. He's also spoken to the senior executives of dozens of the largest and best-known companies in the world.
2: It turns out hybrid, we estimate you're something like 4 to 5% more productive than fully in the office. And so you can see why hybrid's is massively attractive. It's for the firm... The employee is four or five percent more productive, and the employee is happy. I mean, why wouldn't you do it? And so, as a result, pretty
4: much everyone is. When you say more productive, is that sort of each each minute or each hour of your time is more productive, or is it simply the save on the commute that kind of accounts for that uh, for that increase in productivity? It's about two thirds more
2: time, and about one third per minute. So most of it is the save on the commute. It also appears. I mean, I've done various studies on this over the years that employees take shorter breaks at home so everyone's really nervous that you know they're going to be caught goofing off but if you think of the office the amount of time you spend thinking about you know the england football match or the super bowl wherever you are is quite a lot or the leaving deal there's a cake in the breakout room or the person at the desk next door they you know the girlfriend or boyfriend's like you know you can the office is very very distracting so uh or toilet breaks they long they I mean they just take more time in the office it's a longer or coffee breaks all of this stuff so about two-thirds, maybe even three-quarters of the uplift is you're just working more minutes at home. So again, it comes out to thinking about, you know, tasks, minute by minute. If you think of a 3-2 plan, the kind of thing that's going to happen is Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, we come in to work. The whole team comes in. We, we have all our meetings, our presentations, our client events, our lunches, our leaving days, anything that needs groups of people, we do it on those three days. That's probably as much meeting and big presentation need for the week. The other You know, two days, we set aside to do quiet work, reading, writing, report, doing dealing with emails. That ends up being more productive because you're actually better off doing quiet work at home because it's quieter and it's less distracting. And also you save on commute time. So if you look in the data, commute time, roughly half of that saving is taken by employees to just more leisure, but the other half is taken to work harder. So it's kind of a win-win. The average Brit or American both commute about an hour a day. So if you work from home two days a week, you're saving two hours. You get an extra hour of leisure, your your employer gets an extra hour of work. It's a win-win.
4: Now, it's important to point out there is not universal agreement among those academics who have looked into the productivity effect of remote work. A paper from a group of academics led by Michael Gibbs from the University of Chicago found that productivity has fallen 20% during the pandemic if you measure it by the output of the average worker in the average hour. And that's using data provided anonymously by a 10,000-strong firm. Yes, overall output went up, but only because the average employee worked 30% longer during the pandemic, doing an extra 18% more work outside normal business hours. You'll probably recognise this. More time was spent in pre-organised meetings and there was less time available for uninterrupted work, the thing that working from home is supposed to be brilliant for. Workers with kids at home did more extra work than those without, and women did more extra work than men, the study found. The differing results of the two studies beg the question, Does working from home make us more productive? Or will it just mean us working longer hours with all the pros and cons that has for mental health and that elusive work-life balance?
1: As Roth said earlier, the broad averages about productivity hide a lot of nuance. Not every person felt that working from home, even part of the time, was beneficial for them. And some tasks are better done from an office than home. Here she is again.
5: So we quite clearly saw a correlation in that those employees who have a role that is focused more on doing individual work rather than collaboration, they are more likely to have a good experience working from home because individual work is what, it, what, what we've seen is better supported at home. While those who, who focus more on collaboration or have a bigger proportion of their role essentially being about collaboration, they are more likely to, to find it uh, slightly more challenging. Um, we also saw that when we looked at something called activity complexity so kind of the, 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 the amount of variety you have in your role, so the amount of different types of activities that you do, the higher the variety, the more different types of activities you do, the more difficult it is for your home environment to support you in all of those different things um, that you do, so those with lower complexity or lower variety in their role uh, are more likely to have a better experience.
1: Ah, uh, Yes, collaboration and creativity. Sometimes it can seem that for those that believe in a wholesale return to the office, the word collaboration is a life raft that they're clinging onto for dear life. But the fact remains that collaborating with coworkers is pretty much the number one draw and reason people want to keep coming into the office for work and social reasons.
4: Diana Dupu is a marketing and PR specialist at Creative Navy, a user experience design firm. During the pandemic, she changed jobs, switching from a prop tech firm that made her come into the office every day, no matter what job she was doing, a policy that made her pretty miserable, she said, to her current role, which will offer a more flexible schedule. She has just started to go into the office and meet her new colleagues for the first time. Now, apologies for the poor quality of the recording here. I was self-isolating because I had COVID, so I couldn't meet Diana in person, even though she has started going back into the office.
0: I came back for the people. The office does nothing for me in terms of productivity. Uh, The team does a lot, and the social relationships that we build by being in the same room, they matter. And uh, bonds, the bonds that we form together matter a lot. But uh, other than that, (laughs) No, I don't think the office does much. It's just a room with desks and computers. It's a lovely room, but it's the people in the room that make me want to be here.
4: We often talk about collaboration in the office in grand terms, as a catalyst for creativity and sparking ideas. But it's also about the small, basic elements of office life – tiny things that, when added up, make a big difference to productivity and which may be as important in luring people back as those water cooler moments. Justin Carty is a senior director at CBRE. Now, clearly, CRE firms are big boosters when it comes to getting people back into the office, but his view on the benefits of being in the office are shared by people across many, many industries.
2: I was in the office last week and another colleague needed to get a contact phone number from me. And they were able to just ask me and I was able to show the number and they were able to write it down. And that, you know, that took less than 20 seconds. Uh, In our virtual world, that would have been a phone call, um, me physically having to then type the email and it would have taken five minutes instead of 20 seconds. So little things like that do make a difference.
0: We don't have to tell you that the future of work is complicated. Get a partner who can make your team's return to the office simple with Industrious. Industrious has offices, suites, and hybrid solutions for companies of all sizes and stages in more than 100 locations across the U.S. and the U.K. Go to IndustriousOffice.com to discover how Industrious can help bring your team into the future of work. Industrious at
4: IndustriousOffice.com.
1: People love being around other people, and so the office will always be a draw. But when it comes to productivity and getting the most out of the office, there's a lot that companies and landlords get wrong about collaboration and those mythical serendipitous meetings that offices can engineer. Yes, they exist, but not in the same way you think they do. Ben Weber is president and co-founder of Humanize, a workplace analytics firm that uses tools like sensors to measure who in a company talks to each other, where and when.
4: Analysis Humanise has undertaken during the pandemic has found that it is possible to collaborate successfully when working from home, using the tools that have been made available to workers, things like file sharing and video calling. In fact, we are collaborating more with people we work closely with. But the loss of interaction with people outside our immediate circle, people with whom we have what are called weak ties, is storing up a productivity problem further down the line.
0: What you get concerned about are things like groupthink that if you're talking to the same group of people week after week, that everyone's drunk the Kool-Aid and it's very hard to get new ideas. Um, and that's where weak ties typically come in. These are people that you don't talk with very frequently. They're typically in different social circles. The way we define it, of people you spend five to 15 minutes with on a given week. Those ties went down very significantly. You know, in a lot of cases were cut by more than half. But again, I say that it sounds like dramatic, but think about it from your individual perspective. You will not notice that but that it does significantly impact how information flows through organizations. So when it comes to innovation, when it comes to creativity, those ties are extremely important, which means if we look at productivity from a medium long-term perspective, that's what's concerning. Again, you think about what offices do, you essentially get that for free. By walking through an office, I'll bump into people that I don't really know. You'll start up a chat by the coffee machine, which then will also cause you to be more likely to chat with that person over Slack or to have some other meeting with them later in the month. That just happens.
4: Those academics and analysts who have spent their lives studying companies and employees seem excited about the benefits that hybrid work can bring, especially when it comes to productivity. Here's Nick Bloom again.
2: I mean, this is a major revolution. I think the potential in the long run is pretty exciting. So to explain this, it's worth thinking that technology isn't constant. So it seems like rural is working the way we are, but I've been working and working for almost 20 years and if you go back to when I started, which is I ran the first survey in 2004, back then there was no Zoom, there was no Teams, Skype had only just been invented and hardly anyone used it. Dropbox and cloud didn't exist. So if you're working from home, you're having telephone calls. I've interviewed people that work from home in the 80s and they said it was just dreadful. So 20 years from now, I wouldn't be surprised you have amazing VR and we have you know, virtual reality and all kinds of things. So I think as time goes on, working from home is actually going to get better, more efficient, closer to in-person.
1: Remember Mo Davis from earlier and his theory that hybrid work and technology that enables it could be as important as electricity? Well, the thing to bear in mind is that the adoption of electricity wasn't linear and the impact wasn't immediate. In his book, 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy, economist Tim Hartford points out that it took decades for electrification to boost productivity in factories. Not because factory owners were shy about adopting it, they weren't, but because factories were organised in the wrong way. Factories and the engines they housed were literally the wrong shape, organised around a single huge drive shaft, powering all the machines in a factory at once, lending itself to batch production. It wasn't until the organising principle of factories changed, with numerous small, cheap electric engines allowing the creation of a production line, that the benefits of electricity started to be seen in productivity figures. For Weber, the same process is likely to happen in the years to come. Until companies have grasped how to change the way they manage and organise their workforce, any benefits of hybrid working might seem elusive.
0: So what I love about hybrid work is that it sort of means all things to all people, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm actually extremely excited for this because I really feel like we're in for really a Cambrian explosion of work strategies, which pre-pandemic we didn't have. Pre-pandemic we had this convergence to roughly a single model, which is like everyone was copying tech companies, style offices, open plan, everyone comes in every day. It doesn't matter what your job is. And that didn't make sense then. Doesn't make sense now. In a similar way, you know, what, what, what's exciting about the idea, the idea of a hybrid model is that ideally this is something that different parts of the company should work differently. Because again, if you're a you know, company of any kind of size and you need more than honestly a couple dozen people, right? Not to mention like tens of thousands, you know, you're let's say you have an accounting department. Should accounting work in exactly the same way as the R&D researchers? Like, no, they, they shouldn't
4: many companies are simply likely to get the transition wrong, making it up as they go along, basing their entire way of working on the odd survey or the gut feel of senior management and their preconceived view of what the best way to work is. Clearly, he has a vested interest in arguing that companies need more data in figuring out how their workforce should be organised. His firm supplies that data. But Weber has a point. He said the shift to hybrid work is something that is going to play out over years, even decades, rather than weeks and months. It may not be visible in productivity statistics in the way we might imagine. It might be time saved rather than dollars earned. And
0: what we see is that when our technology is rolled out, the average employee in those divisions will work a little bit more than two hours less a week. Right. So if you see like how many hours do they work pre post, the productivity of those teams is either equivalent or higher, but that they're working less hours. That's very, very interesting because. If you look at historically technology development, if you look at like the introduction of email, for example, right? Mm -hmm. You can communicate a lot faster. That makes people more productive. But actually what it does is it doesn't mean that people work 20 hours a week. No, you work the same amount of hours, more like executive stockholders, you know, they'll get more. What you see with our kind of technology and like maybe there's this argument that with other kinds of AI enabled technology that's the case is that the benefits aren't just being captured in terms of money coming out at the top or other kinds of economic output. It could also be that there are actually lifestyle improvements that are being made that are not captured by traditional GDP measures, Um, and that eventually maybe they will be, and eventually those will, you know, the fact that people have more time means they can also be more relaxed, which means there's all sorts of things you could hypothesise.
1: Hybrid work has some potentially huge benefits. If companies and workers unlock the right balance between offices and working from home, there is a chance that productivity soars, and the economic benefits could be huge, even if they might not be easily visible anytime soon.
4: But there's a catch. There's a pretty good chance that those benefits won't be equally shared around society. Remote work has the potential to have huge gains in terms of social equality and workplace diversity. But done wrong, it has the potential to widen the inequality we're already seeing in society and entrench the lack of diversity that already defines the modern office. Next week.
3: What we've seen is that employees of colour, Asian, Black and Hispanic employees, have a higher sense of belonging when working remotely compared to working in the office and relative to their white employee counterparts.
2: I've had multiple managers say things like, you know what, my my, uh, frontline employees are really angry.
4: White collar offices are not diverse places. Would this change if we're not all in the office together? And how will the fact that some of us can work from home and some of us can't impact wage inequality Find out next week on Office Politics. This podcast is produced by me, Mike Phillips.
1: And me, Miriam Hall, with script editing from Ethan Rothstein. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find us.